a video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? <laughs> Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir. Go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We, we've got to stand firm in His truth. We've got to stand firm on His Word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get, make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We are still in Romans chapter 5. A couple of weeks ago, we finished a three-part study of the first part of Romans chapter 5 that focused on verses 1 through 11 and the three exults that God mentions there in that passage. When we understand what he's teaching us in these verses, we will learn to exult with exceeding great joy in hope of the glory of God. We'll even learn to exult in our tribulation and we'll certainly exult in God. When we really grasp what he's teaching us, we will find it difficult not to exalt when we really get it internalized. Now we've come to verse 12, and we're going to have to shift gears <laughs> to use Peter's phrase. Remember the apostle Peter? He said, 
you better be able to gird up the loins of your minds. <laughs> and we're going to have to do that today. In our day, we'd probably say it something like this. We're going to have to roll up the sleeves of our minds. We're going to get, get ready for action, mental action here. Get ready to tighten the belts of our minds. Put on our thinking caps, however you want to say it. Because we've come to what is in some ways one of the most difficult passages in the letter of Romans. It's not the only difficult passage, but it's certainly one of them. <laughs> but this is God's Word, right? Of course it is. It's God's Word. And so we need to do our very best to, to understand it. And that may mean a little bit of mental struggle. It may mean we have to wrestle with it a little bit. Turns out to be one of the most important theological passages in the whole Bible. And Lord willing, we're going to be spending several sessions here in this passage of Scripture. So first, let's just read through it together. And remember, while we're reading, this is God's Word. Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation but on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, <laughs> there's so much in this passage. And unless you have already, maybe sometime in the past, dug into it with some detail, you probably find it, just as I read through it, there's just too much to even know how to get a handle on it. How do you take a bite out of a passage like this? <laughs> So before we jump into the specific details of the passage, we, we, need to, we need to wait on that. We need to back away just a little bit and see the passage as part of a whole in order to understand the context of this passage better. It's very important to understand the context. Are you familiar with the theological word hermeneutics? Hermeneutics? It comes from a Greek word hermeneuo, which essentially means to interpret. You may be familiar with this. There, there are seminary classes called classes in biblical hermeneutics. 
And the teachers in those classes try to help students learn the differences between good Bible interpretation and bad Bible interpretation. And one of the principles of good Bible hermeneutics, good Bible interpretation, is to make sure we understand the context of the passage. We need to try to understand what comes before the passage and what follows the passage to see it in its context. We can get ourselves into trouble very quickly when we try to understand a passage or a verse without considering its context. Sometimes we call that kind of thing proof texting. And that's true of a lot of things in life. You know, there's an old proverb that says, you got to be careful because you can get yourself in a situation where you won't be able to see the forest for the trees. <laughs> You've heard that, haven't you? We, we have to back off a little bit, try to see the big picture. That's what we're trying to do here. Medical students have to learn to think like this. They have to look at a patient as a whole person before they get immersed in trying to figure out the specific problem or the symptoms that may be presenting themselves at the moment. They know they'll understand the details better if they back up a little bit and understand the whole person better. For example, it's very important for a doctor to know your entire medical history, to know your personal lifestyle before he or she tries to tackle the cause of a particular symptom you may be presenting. You get the point. Well, if we're going to be good Bible students, we have to follow the same kind of procedure. So let's back up here and remind ourselves of some of the ground we've already covered. From the last half of chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2, and all the way through chapter 3, up to verse 20, God is very meticulously driving home the truth that we are all guilty before Him. By the time we reach chapter 3, verse 20, we all have this overwhelming sense, if we've read this carefully, of the hopelessness of our situation. For not just us, all mankind, we're all in the same boat. And then in chapter 3, verse 21, he turns a corner with these wonderful words, but now, but now, and he begins to reveal the wonderful truth that while we were without hope, Christ died for us and we can be justified. And now we can be declared to be righteous. It's a gift by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. And we've looked at that. And then in chapter 4, he gives us an understanding of the nature of this faith by which we are declared righteous before God. And he does this by showing us an example, a model of faith. And that model, of course, was the man Abraham. Then we got to chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we saw some of the results of our being justified. And these results lead to the consequence that we exult as we consider all these things. And in the last part of that, verses 6 through 11, he reminds us that we were helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. But now, those of us who've received Christ, now we're justified. Now we're reconciled to God. Now we're in Christ. We're in his life, as we saw in the last part of verse 10. And so God's reached a high point in this letter at this point. We were sinners, objects of God's wrath. Now we're in Christ. Now, in verses 12 through 21 of chapter 5, he's giving us a tremendous, very profound explanation of all of this. He's looking back over this entire letter up to this point and saying, you were in Adam, now you are in Christ. We were sinners, the wrath of God was upon us, that's when we were in Adam. Now we've been justified by faith and we're no longer in Adam, we're now in Christ. The point he's going to drive home in this passage is our relationship to Adam before 
was the same kind of relationship as our relationship to Christ is now. And then in chapters 6 and 7 and 8, such powerful, awesome chapters, Lord willing, we'll get there someday. He's going to develop this even more completely. He's going to teach us in a much more thorough way what it means to be in Christ. But here, he's going to compare and contrast our being in Adam with our being in Christ. By the way, if you will allow me to chase a brief rabbit here, the people who consider themselves too sophisticated to believe the first few chapters of Genesis, do you know people like this? People want to say, oh, these early chapters, they're just symbolism. It's just myth. Don't take that literally. You can't believe those first chapters of Genesis. They think they're being sophisticated. They really do. (laughs) But they're so deceived. They've really been propagandized by foolish people who happen to have PhD degrees and have learned a lot of esoteric vocabulary words who are atheists. And they're desperately trying to explain how the world got here, the world we see all around us, the world we're living in, but they're leaving God out of it. They don't have anything to do, they don't God have anything to do with it. So they're trying to explain it without God. And these people have a tremendous problem with the passage we're looking at here in Romans chapter 5. Because if we conclude that God did not create a literal Adam, if we think we can leave out those early chapters of Genesis and it won't affect our understanding of the New Testament, we're running into a massive wall right here in Romans chapter 5. Because without a literal Adam, this passage becomes meaningless. And it just falls apart. Because if Adam is just a mythical personification of early mankind, if Adam is just a symbol of man in general, then when we follow the logic of Romans chapter 5, we realize, well, then it must mean that Jesus is just a mythical symbol too. (laughs) I mean, because as we shall see, God is drawing a very clear parallel between a literal Adam and a literal Christ in this passage. And guys, This illustrates the danger of tampering with God's Word. When we start rejecting part of God's Word because of our own personal logic or because maybe we're being intimidated by unbelievers, by atheists who roll their eyes at us and ridicule people who take God's Word seriously and and we we feel like we can't stand up against them, we start backing off God's Word, we discover eventually, hopefully to our horror, there's no stopping place. Men who reject part of God's word eventually start finding themselves rejecting more of God's word, much more of God's word, until they finally take the supernatural right out of the Bible, all in deference to the bullying of the fools who call themselves secular humanists or neo-Marxists or socialists or materialists or any other of a bunch of names you fill in the blank with your favorite atheistic worldview. <laughs> and by the way, I call them fools. God's the one who calls them fools. I didn't just take it on myself to call them fools. I'm just quoting God. (laughs) But some of these guys love to ridicule Christians, one of their favorite things. They can't argue very well against the Bible. God's given us too much evidence. So all they can do is try to make fun of you and ridicule you. And sadly, many Christians just don't have the backbone to stand up to. It's really sad. So sad. But clearly, according to Paul, according to the Holy Spirit, Adam was a real man. Now, all that brings me to another word of warning I want us to think about as we look at this passage. Guys, we're going to be tested here as to what really is our source of authority. Is our source of authority really the Word of God? Is our source of authority really the Bible? 
or is our source of authority our own ability to reason things through, our logic? Because I have to warn you, God's going to show us some profound truths in this passage. And sometimes God requires us to re-examine some of our cherished opinions and our preconceptions that just don't square with God's word. And it can be very hard to let go of cherished opinions that we may have held for years, but happen not to be biblical. And if we're not careful, we may find ourselves trying to come up with some strange interpretation of scripture to make it fit our preconceived ideas. The theologians call that eisegesis, <laughs> reading your ideas into God's word. It's very, very dangerous. But it's not unusual for Christians to come to a passage like this and be very tempted to say, I just don't believe that can be true. <laughs> and someone asks them why they find it difficult to believe what God's teaching here. Their answer may be, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand this. I don't see how God would do that. <laughs> So you may find yourself having those kind of thoughts over the next several weeks of study in this Romans chapter five. But we need to understand and accept the fact that if we respond that way, it simply proves our source of authority is our own brain and not God's word. That's a dangerous place to be, guys. It's much better to mis mistrust our thinking ability than it is to mistrust God's word. Now, don't get me wrong here. There's nothing wrong with saying this is very hard. <laughs> this is hard for me to understand. I'm not sure I can put all this together in my little brain. That's fine. That's not a bad attitude to have. But when we refuse to believe God simply because we don't understand his ways, we're in the same position as an infidel who refuses to trust Jesus because it just doesn't make sense to him. We shouldn't be surprised at all at our inability to understand all these things. There are things in God's word that we cannot really fully understand, but we can still humbly kneel before God's word and just agree with Paul's wonderful conclusion that he writes at the end of chapter 11 of this letter. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Remember how Isaiah said it? God speaking through Isaiah. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Way too many people read something in the Bible and proclaim, that doesn't make any sense to me, and then quickly come to the foolish conclusion that they can trust their brain more than they can trust God's word. Now, there's one more thing we need to consider before we look at the details and particulars. We'll begin to look at those particulars in more detail next time. I want us to understand the flow of thinking through this section that the Holy Spirit's led Paul to write down. Notice how in verse 12, he begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And this word, therefore, reminds us he's basing what he's about to say on everything he's written up to this point. But specifically, he has in mind these last three words of verse 10 in his life, in his life. He's going to really develop that thought. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved in his life. Paul's about to teach us who are Christians that now 
We are in Christ just as once we were in Adam. And at this point, he begins a comparison. We can see that's true from the little word as in verse 12. You see it? Therefore, just as, just as. So he's going to say, as such and such is true, even so, such and such is also true. It's the same kind of comparison I might make if I said, just as some of you were raised in small towns in California, even so, I was raised in a small town in Tennessee. There's a comparison there. So Paul begins verse 12 with a just as. But (laughs) when we look for the last part of that comparison, when we look for the even so, we don't find it until we get way down to verse 18. In verse 18, Paul repeats the first part of his comparison using a similar word. So then as, there it is again, he's kind of bringing it back again. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And then in verse 18, he adds the last part. Even so, finally, there's the even so. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. You see what I'm saying here? He begins with a comparison in verse 12. Then he interrupts it, and then he completes it way down in verses 18 and 19. So verses 13 through 17 are a kind of parenthesis. So here's how it works. God has inspired Paul to write down verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And it seems that the logical thing would be for the following words to be even so. But the Holy Spirit checked Paul at this point and basically says, now, now wait right here. I want to make it clear what I mean by that phrase, because all sinned. Otherwise, there's going to be some confusion and and people are not going to understand what I'm about to say. So in verses 13 and 14, he explains that phrase, because all sinned. Then as he explains the phrase, because all sinned, at the end of verse 14, he tells us Adam is a type of him who was to come. And again, the Holy Spirit checks Paul and says, yes, Adam is a type of Jesus, that's true, but the contrast between Adam and Christ are enormous and deeply significant. We've got to point that out. So in verses 15, 16, and 17, we have this discussion of the contrast between Adam and Christ, the ways they are not alike. So these verses are like a parenthesis within a parenthesis. You get in the picture? We have a beginning of a comparison in verse 12. And I know on your screen, these words may be too small to read, but I wanted to get it all on one screen. And then a parenthesis beginning in verse 13. And a second parenthesis beginning in verse 15. Then we have the completion of the comparison that was begun in verse 12 in verses 18 and 19. And then finally, we have verses 20 and 21, which are like a postscript where he's adding an explanation of the purpose of the law. And as you can see, in order to follow Paul through this critically important passage of Scripture, we have to gird up the loins of our minds. We have to think. And for those of us who might not be used to the kind of mental discipline required to study and understand a passage like this, it can seem kind of tedious. It can seem kind of difficult. But listen, guys, stay with me. The rewards of grasping this passage of Scripture are unquestionably worth every bit of the mental effort that we put into it. So next time, we're going to begin to dig into some of the specifics of these verses. 
But this kind of overview will make all the difference in the world in our ability to grasp and appreciate those specifics. Believe me, we're not, we're not wasting time here. This kind of thinking is absolutely necessary. We have to see Paul's logic and his flow. Now, this turns out to be a really good place and time for us to obey God's command to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, am I in Adam or am I in Christ? Because we are definitely in one or the other. As Paul said at the church at Corinth, we all need to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Are we in Adam? Are we in Christ? The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's not just a figure of speech. And it really isn't complicated to just be in Christ. Maybe a little difficult to understand all that that implies. As we work our way through Romans, we're learning all that it implies. But to actually be in Christ is very simple. It just has to be real. If we're in Christ, a radical change is taking place in our lives. We're new creatures. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And each of us has to examine ourselves very personally and very honestly. Has there been a time in my life when I realized I was a sinner, self-centered, helpless, hopeless, trying to stay in control of my own life, determined as much as possible to have things my way, in rebellion against God, realized finally that I was totally unworthy, that I was a, a sinner, Realized I deserve death and hell and destruction. Has there been a time when that dawn came to us? And then realizing that, did I turn to Christ in humble submission to him, inviting him into my life, confessing my sins, repenting of my sinful rebellion against him? Have I bowed my heart to him? Have I placed all my hope, all my confidence, all my trust in Christ and in Christ alone, not in me? If I have, the Bible says I'm in Christ. If I have not, if I've always believed, for example, that I'm basically good enough, if I believe that I'm basically a good person, that I'm as good as other folks are, if I've imagined I'm somehow acceptable to God because of all the good things I've done compared to others or compared to what I used to be, that would mean I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting my ability to be good. I'm not trusting Jesus. And if I'm trusting myself and all the things that I try to do that are good, I'm still in Adam because ultimately I'm a total failure. We've learned that in the first part of Romans. The end of that is death and hell and destruction. We're going to learn in the book of Romans that Jesus Christ is the head of a whole new stream of humanity and each of us can be a part of it. It turns out there are two great divisions of mankind, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. That's it. If we're still in Adam, we can be changed. We're going to be placed into Christ. We're going to be made righteous. We're going to be made into a brand new creation. The key to it all is very simple, childlike faith. Remember, justification by faith is the theme of this whole letter of Romans. Not head knowledge, not mental assent, not trying to be good, not trying to make myself acceptable to God, but casting myself totally and completely on the grace and mercy of Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's spend a moment with him here just before we stop today and examine ourselves. Because you might be sitting here today listening to this and 
watching this video and you realize you've never really done that. You've never really, like a child, just repented of your sin and put your trust in Christ alone. Well, if you haven't, you can right now. It's so simple. It just has to be real. It has to be honest. So what I'm going to do today is lead us in a prayer. And, and this will conclude this study. But if, if you're making that commitment of trusting Jesus right now, as I pray, would you let me know about it? I'm going to put my phone number on the screen there, but it's 423-261-5562, 423-261-5562. You can text me or call me. If you call me, you'll have to leave a voicemail message, 423-261-5562. Let me know. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your awesome divine plan. We admit, Lord, there are many things about your plan that we cannot fully grasp and understand. But we thank you that once we were in Adam and now because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because he conquered sin and conquered death and conquered hell, conquered the devil, rose again from the dead, that because of who he is and what he's done, we can be taken out of Adam and put into him, into Christ. Lord, thank you for making that, that process, that procedure so simple. You even told us in your word that unless we trusted you like a little child, we could never enter the kingdom of God. So help us all to come as little children. And Father, if someone's listening to me right now and they've never really made that commitment, maybe they got baptized, maybe they joined a church, but they never really trusted Jesus simply, never really repented of sin, never really recognized that need, maybe until right now. Would you help them maybe to pray something like this? Lord Jesus, you can repeat this after me, guys. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross to pay for my sin. I admit I'm a sinner. I have blown it so badly. I have been full of myself. And I repent of that sin. Thank you for forgiving my sin. I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, for my eternity. I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, for my salvation. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And Father, I know if a person who's been praying with me right now has meant those words, has prayed those words very simply as a child, but honestly, you've done exactly that. You've, you've kept your promise. You've come into their heart. You've come into their life, and you're their Lord and Savior, and you've given them eternal life and forgiven their sins, made them part of your family. They're in Christ now, no longer in Adam. And I pray, Lord, you'd help that person to be willing to contact me by text or phone call so that I can encourage them and pray with them maybe help them figure out next steps. But Lord, we just want to be glory, bringing you glory. We want to be part of your family in a way that honors you the most. So teach us what that means. Help us to gird up the loins of our minds as we approach this passage of scripture and be willing to study and dig and think until we can internalize more and more of your truth and be more and more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.